Welcome back to That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl. I'm Steve Scher with Katie Sewell and a room full of folks at the Bryant Corner Cafe, the corner of 32nd and 65th in Seattle. Folks have grabbed a favorite book off the shelf. They're reading some favorite parts and telling us why these are books they've kept around. The document read, Pound Pastrami, Can Kraut, Six Bagels, Bring Home. It was a mystery that would cause intense speculation among philosophers for the next thousand years. From A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter Miller. I'm about to read you a piece of The Tough Guide to Fantasyland, which reads like a glossary of fantasy tropes. Food. See stew, scurvy, stew, whey bread, also known as journey cake, and stew, though there are occasional birds, fish, rabbits, and pieces of cheese. Gentlemen, I'm going to fly. David McCullough, the Wright brothers. Always remember that they come from the desert. A novel about medieval Spain with a 14% degree turn into fantasy called The Lions of al Rasan by Guy Gavriel Kay. It's that stack of books. I'm Steve Scher. I'm Nancy Pearl. And we heard first lines from a few of the folks around the table who brought their books we loved. And when you look at these books around the table, they are well-worn, except for the Wright Brothers book, which is brand new, brand new. But every, everyone else's is, is uh, many of the others are, are very well-worn, except mine. I have to buy a new one of um, The Lions of Alversan every year because my husband rereads it, and he's very hard on books. So. Well, what does he do? He folds back the, he bends, he breaks the spines. <laughs> well, no, normally he he we, he takes it when we go to the shore, and he it gets wet. All right. So why is you have many books to choose from in your oeuvre? Why is Guy Gabriel Kay's The Lions of Al Rasan one of these? books you've loved? Well, it, it's always very hard for me to pick my favorite Guy Gabriel Kay novel because he is just one of my all-time favorite, favorite writers because he writes in a, in a, uh, he writes the kinds of books that we sometimes, that I like to think of as elastic realism, where they're really historical novels. This is a novel about medieval Spain and the Reconquista, but it's not named medieval Spain. You know, I mean, it's not Spain and it's not called the Reconquista. Instead, he animates it with people who, who are living through that. Um, that experience. So there's a Christian and an Arab and the main female character is a Jew. And their, their personal and their um, political um, relationships are, are just wonderful. Yeah, I get that's the book. I want to know why that's your <laughs> favorite book, why this is one that tugs at you. Well, I love the relationship between the two main male characters and, and Jihan, the, the main female character. And what I loved about the two main male characters is that they come from, it's like the Kipling poem, they come from opposite ends of the world and, and they stand together and have to either one defeat the other or, or come to some agreement about the way the world works. By the way, you have talked about Guy Gabriel Kay a lot. Why, who, who, who is Guy Gabriel Kay? I'm asking again. I bet we covered this before in the podcast. But why, why? You know, I love history and I love 
historical fiction, and I love it when there's this this little turn into fantasy that just makes things even more interesting. The, Guy Gabriel Kay, his first job was to assist after, I think after college, he's a Canadian writer, um, lives in Toronto now, um, but his first job after college, I believe it was after college, was to work for the Tolkien family and to help them work on the Silmarillion, what became the Silmarillion, the history of Middle Earth. And so um, Guy's first three books are a trilogy very much in the very much indebted to um, the Lord of the Rings, this, this struggle between good and evil, but with modern, no, no, no Ents and no Orcs and no Hobbits, real people, young people. And then he just went on to write these fabulous historical novels, but because we keep them in fantasy, because they're usually shelved in the fantasy section, no one finds them. But I, I yeah, everyone. His last two books and, and the one he's just uh, just finishing up now are all set in different eras of China, of, of Chinese history. So, and just does fabulous research. The Last Light of the Sun uh, was the book that came right after um, The Lions of Al-Rasan. And The Last Light of the Sun is about early Britain. Well, I just remember this book made it onto your list more, on more than one occasion. The Last Light of the Sun made it on, onto your list more than one occasion. I know over the last 20 years, Steve, we've talked about Guy Gabriel Kay a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've never read him. I better read him. All right, Keith, I want to ask you why A Canical for Leibowitz, because I think sixth or seventh grade I read that book, and I remember having my head explode in reading it and being kind of bummed. It, it can be a bit of a bummer if you're in the wrong frame of mind. A very different view of a post-apocalyptic world that was not full of exploding cars and drama around every corner. Boy, when we were in grammar school in the Midwest, I think that book showed up sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, struck our teachers. And it's just been one that I first discovered, I think, in 83, 82, and it's just been one of my favorite books ever since. One of my favorites is called A Thread of Grace by Mary Doria Russell. She was in, in northern Italy uh, and she found this inscription on a stone in a village and it goes, when racial hatred raged in Europe, Jewish refugees uncertain of their fate coming from distant countries, Austria, Belgium, Germany, Poland, found hospitality and safety in these valleys. Why did you pull that book off the shelf of all the books you could have pulled off? Why is that the book that seems to resonate with you right now? Because I remember it. Uh, and any time anybody asks me, what's a really good book? I say, this is the one you've got to read. All right, so Roz, and do you guys have the same favorite book, Roz no. and Tom? Oh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. So I don't know that this is my favorite all-time book. I couldn't, but I love this book now. I got it a few years ago. It sits on my shelf, and every once in a while I pull it out. It's The Wild Braid by um, Stanley Kunitz. So he's a gardener as well as a really well-known poet, and it's very accessible poetry. So he talks about his childhood in here and the first time he encountered an owl and how he took it home. He tamed it and took it home and had it live in his attic for several years out in the countryside. And he talks about all kinds of things, and he talks about aging, and he talks about loving life. Is that something you want to do, bring an owl home? No. But well, I so just heard Tony Angel talk, so I'm totally into that. We, we think we have one in our yard pecking away at our cedar tree. Well, what grabbed you about that? What, what made so you I, grab that book off the shelf, though? 
I, I actually don't remember why I picked it up. I think I well, saw I mean, it. coming in here. When somebody said, oh, we want to know a book that's a because favorite Because I thought yours. about, you know, I mostly read fiction, although I've read a lot of nonfiction, too. And I thought about all the books that I've kind of really liked when I read them. But I wouldn't say that I would necessarily pick them up again. Did I love it? This is a book I keep coming back to and um, poking at and reading a poem, reading a poem again. And I happen to like poetry. And so it just sort of resonates with me right now. And um, can I just read one little sentence is one sentence it's the beginning of a poem called the layers said I have and some of the poems I think are old in this book that he'd written and some I think he wrote for this occasion um, I've walked through many lives some of them my own and I am not who I was though some principle of being abides from which I struggle not to stray I like what he has to say so Tom yours is going to be the exact opposite of your wife's correct uh, no but so it's uh, Darwin and the Beagle by Alan Moorhead, who's a very good writer of history. But let me just read you the very first paragraph of the book. One of the fascinating things about Charles Darwin is that he really does seem to have been one of those men whose careers quite unexpectedly and fortuitously are decided for them by a single stroke of fortune. For 21 years, nothing much happens. No exceptional abilities are revealed then suddenly a chance is offered, things can go either this way or that, but luck steps in, or rather a chain of lucky events, and away he soars into the blue, never to return. So when I read that paragraph, I try to think, what, what, how does that affect me? And what I came up with was, when I was a kid listening to the Lone Ranger on the radio, I can hear, uh, you know, the William Tell overture in the background <laughs> about how, what an amazing adventure this single man is about to uh, encounter. Stephen, why'd you pick that book that you picked? And you better tell us the title again. The title is The Tough Guide to Fantasyland. And it's written by Diana Wynne-Jones, who is a celebrated fantasy writer to begin with. But what she's doing here is she's sending up a lot of the really tired tropes of fantasy that we don't really think about. Fantasy readers don't really think about until they're send up, sent up like this. And it's actually... Um, it's just a delight. It's so much fun. And there's a lot of uh, laughing at ourselves that comes with this book, uh, if you're a fantasy reader. Um, and it's a lot of fun. The way she writes it up just makes you laugh. You're a fantasy writer, so that was tickling your funny bone. What makes it a favorite? Well, I like humor, and I like fantasy, and I often need to be reminded as a writer um, uh, of some of our sort of sacred cows. And so... It, it, it makes me laugh at myself, and it makes me laugh at my childhood and my tastes in literature. Things like, well, when, when there's food in, a, in an inn, it's going to be brown stew, and it's going to be hot, and it usually has crusty but slightly stale bread with it. Because that's what happens in every fantasy novel ever written. Um, and it's just fun. This is a tough question. <laughs> Why'd you make us answer it? <laughs> well, I thought you made us answer it. <laughs> It's an impossible question because I think that probably many of the books that all of us have on our shelves are books we love. And it was, just, I mean, otherwise, why keep them? It would be my feeling. Um, and so for a lot of us, I think it was just pulling off a book. That's what I did. I mean, I was thinking of doing the Yiddish Policeman's Union uh, by Michael Shaben, which I loved. And, and I was thinking also of, because I'm in the midst of rereading the City and the City by China Mieville, which I also loved. 
Um, so, and that's just on one, oh, that's on two floors. I was thinking what bookcases, <laughs> what bookcases the Chabon and the Mieville were, so. Uh, nobody asked me, oh, so yeah. I'm just saying. Cannery yeah, Row. Yeah. Steve. Steinbeck, Cannery's Row, Cannery Row, I just read it again for the fourth time, admittedly it's short, uh, this year, because um, I love that it's a portrait of a, of a scientist that is just engaged in his, the love of his science and that Steinbeck loves this guy and just wanted to capture him because he had died early on in their friendship. And every time I reread that, I go back to the log of Sia Cortez or the voyage of the, of the, of the Sia Cortez, the two books that they wrote together, or the the uh, Between Pacific Tides, the book that Ed Ricketts wrote that was the um, compendium of all the creatures that lived on the ocean between the Gulf of Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, it's always re, uh, it, I become re-energized by it because of Steinbeck's connection to this, to this man and the love he had for this man and the, and the fact that that man just loved what he did so much. I love 84 Charing Cross Road. Um, and I love it because it is affirming. I love Helen Hamp's, Hamp's uh, love of learning and uh, the time in which it was written, which was 1970, when it was very hard for her to find those classics that she wanted so much to read. So she had to contact the bookseller in London by, by a letter and wait for the exchange. I loved when she read one thing, it led her to want another, that wonderful, curious brain. And I loved the friendship that developed, not just between her and Frank, but all of their connections. So I love it, I think it's a beautiful book. Susie, that is a great, that is a great ending because I love that you said it was affirming. I think that's a great reason for a book to be a favorite, that it's affirming of something. Thanks. Last words? Read on. Read on, McDuff. All right. Thank you all. You know, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at That Stack. You can find all our episodes at thatstackofbooks.com. You can also find those episodes at iTunes, at Stitcher. We would love to hear from you. Give us an email, thatstackofbooks at gmail.com, or send us something at Facebook. If you do listen to us on iTunes, why don't you write a review of the podcast? That gets the word out. Be much appreciated. We'll be back at the Brian Corner Cafe in a couple of weeks. We'll let you know. Maybe you can join us. Enjoy that stack of books. <laughs>